0: Have you heard the good news? The Office of Personalized Learning is back with inquiry labs and design workshops. If you're interested in seeing personalized competency-based practices in real time and looking for opportunities to network and get support on your own learning journey, these in-person events are perfect for you. Visit personalizedsc.ed sc.gov today to register for an inquiry lab or a design workshop near you it's time for making it personal a personalized sc podcast let's jump into today's episode Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Beach. And today we are joined by a very special guest, all the way from Westminster Elementary in Oconee County. We are joined by Lynette Vargo. Hi, Lynette. Hi. So we're going to start by allowing Lynette to introduce herself, tell you a little bit about her role and her work, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Great.
1: So my name is Lynette Vargo. I have been teaching, uh, wow, for a total of about 23 years. Um, I taught for seven and then stepped away when our daughter was born and then have come back since then. And I've been at Westminster Elementary starting my 16th year this year at that school. Um, I've taught a range of grades from kindergarten through fifth grade, most of my time being in second third, and fourth. I currently teach third grade, and we are a Title I school. And um, like many schools, when COVID hit, we went from um, <clears throat> being departmentalized to being self-contained. And um, because of some of the growth that we saw in our students, we decided to remain self-contained since some of the COVID, you know, um, procedures have been released a little. So I teach all subjects
0: at third. At third grade level. All right. Well, thank you for giving us that background context. Now, let's backtrack a little bit to um, you sharing with us why you even got into education and what are you most passionate about? within the field of education?
1: Sure. So um, originally I thought I wanted nothing to do with education because my mother is, uh, was an elementary teacher. She taught for about 38 years before retiring. So she had a long stint and I saw the countless hours that she poured into her classroom and her students and thought, nope, I'm not doing that. So I thought when I was in college that I wanted to go into the medical field and quickly learn, nope. I don't do blood, so I can't do that. So as I began to try to figure out what to do in life, I took some education courses, and I'll never forget calling my mom my junior year and saying, are you sitting down? And she chuckled and said, yes, why? And I said... I think I need to go into teaching. And of course she giggled and thought that was great. And, you know, I just really enjoyed um, seeing children learn and figuring out how to help those struggling students learn even more than they potentially think that they can And Mm -hmm. so that's one of the reasons why I went into the field of education, um, because I knew as a child, I really struggled with reading and that was very difficult. Numbers were very easy for me and made sense to me. Um, But reading was a challenge. And so um, as I began to go through classes and courses, a lot of things began to make sense to me. And I thought, you know what? I really want to do this. I want to be a part of kids' lives for the long haul and really help them figure out how they learn better and then to be able to watch them grow and learn, not only educationally and academically, but as a person and in their maturity level as well.
0: I love that. I love that. And I'm sure that that is still your why and what drives Mm -hmm. you in this work, which is so important to have. Now, shifting gears a little bit, I would love for you to share with us your introduction to personalized learning. How did you get started with that? How did that introduction happen?
1: Sure. So Oconee County had um, a group of teachers that they launched a few years back called Elevate Teachers. And really the purpose of that group of teachers uh, g- grade level all throughout, K through high school, um, was to really look at the integration of technology into the classroom. So being a part of that cohort or that group of teachers, we began to really look at lots of ways that we could incorporate technology. And in doing so, personalized learning kept coming up in our vocabulary. And um, we were exposed to some books that um, several people have written and and just the whole philosophy of how can we engage students in a deeper more meaningful way so those begin to pique my interest some um, teaching um, departmentalization I was a math teacher for several years and I over the years I just began to see that there are attention span got shorter and shorter. And my ability to move around the room faster and faster before they either erased answers or wiped off whiteboards became a struggle. And that was a huge frustration for me. I was like, I just, I need them right here beside me where I can see their thinking, where they can talk, math talk. And I really understand what's going on in their brain to be able to help them better. So through all of that frustration, birthed a little bit of my desire to make a change and make a change that would better um, help my students. So um, one of the things I did was really begin to research and look into small group teaching. And um, that's kind of where I started on my personalized learning journey, um, was looking at small groups and how could I incorporate that in my classroom? How could I have meaningful stations while I was with a group of students? And so that kind of launched my journey some.
0: Tell us a little bit more about these small groups. I take it that from an elementary standpoint, small groups are pretty common. So how did you go about setting those up and how did you make them personalized and meaningful for your students?
1: At first I started grouping them and I was thinking more personalities, you know, like who would mesh with who. And I began to see, "Mm, that's not really helping me too much because I had a whole gamut of abilities with me. And I really needed to hone in and spend extra time on students who struggled. But likewise, I needed to spend as much equal time as possible with my high students to be able to push them beyond of where they were. So um, I researched some things, read some things, some blogs, teachers' blogs. Uh, Our district bought a book about small group math groups, and I went through that. That was very technical for me, I'm going to be honest. And I just I needed practicality. I needed something I could sink my teeth into and apply right away. And in doing so, I came across a teacher who used to teach in New York, and she implemented small groups. And she also um, wrote in a way that answered all my questions, like, does it matter who comes to me first? Does it matter what order they move from station to station? How can I give meaningful stations that they can do independently without asking me 50 questions, Mm -hmm. so I can focus on those students at my group. And so in researching and and reading, her stuff really seemed to make the most sense to me. So um, I began to implement some of those things right away. I ability grouped my students. um, I made sure that my lower-level students came to me first because they struggle with memory issues. And so I wanted to be sure to cover the lesson that they needed that day, spend a few minutes at the end of my time reviewing the previous day's lesson so that when they left me, the next station they went to was work that reinforced the previous day's lesson. So that was key for me. And that was huge in my students being able to be self-sufficient. And then I at one point... Our our district used to have Envision curriculum, which spiraled, and we had pros and cons, you know, like you do with any curriculum. But that was taken away, and we adopted a different curriculum. And I really saw where I felt like probably I was having more heart palpitations than my students, you know, come to testing. Um, But I really saw a need for that spiraling to still happen somehow. And so I implemented a station that spiraled from the unit before. Um, And then another station was fact practice or games or partner work, because I knew my kids need to be able to talk with each other. I didn't Mm want to just throw a bunch of worksheets at them and them working because that's not going to be sustainable for their attention spans or for my sanity (laughs) through the whole school year. So by making these small changes, man, my students really made a huge change. They went from being not so much engaged to being engaged. They went from being productive. They went from recalling information from the day before because sitting at a table with me at five, they really couldn't get away with not talking. Like we -hmm. we do a lot of math talk because you can't always see their thinking. And so, you know, that really helped me begin to see immediate errors that could be corrected right away and then build on from there. So um, those were some of the practical things that I put into place with small groups.
0: Awesome. Now let's shift gears and talk about assessments. What was your philosophy or practice regarding assessments before and how have you shifted that practice Mm -hmm. to make things more transparent for students and once again, more student centered? So assessments have really been a huge
1: shift for me. Um, About five years ago, when I started implementing the small groups, I was still doing the traditional textbook assessment, whole unit assessment. And, you know, I found that 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 was great. That has its place. But I began to be quickly frustrated because I didn't feel like it gave me enough information to be able to pinpoint and help my students. So after wrestling with that, I began to look at those assessments, but then connect those assessments, each question with a particular standard. And so for a couple of years, I connected those and uh, made a spreadsheet and, you know, could track it that way. Um, And so I was tracking their data and using that to help me make, you know, um, instructional decisions. Um, Recently, last year, our administrator reached out to Griggs Road Elementary. And so several of us that were on our data team went and just observed at that school that day. Um, You probably remember the name of the city they were in. Clover, yes, they are the Road. Yes, yes, and so we went and spent the day there, and um, I, my life as an educator was forever changed. Mm. Um, the things that they are doing at Griggs Road to help not only personalize learning, but to be able to track their students' academic progress to help them grow as individuals is amazing, Mm -hmm. and I learned so much that day. Um, I met Brittany Terry um, that day, and we spent lunch together, not planned out, but boy, we had some rich discussions, Mm -hmm. and she, you know, we think a lot alike, and I had shared with her some of the things I was already doing in the classroom, and she was like, well, I track data, and this is how I do it, and I'm like, are you kidding me, and she's Mm -hmm. like, come to my room after lunch, and so I did, and you you know, I felt bad because I was taking her planning, but she was so gracious with her time and the things that she was implementing. I was able to say, well, I know you're fourth grade and I'm third grade, but can you show me some things? And so um, she has a data wall and her students track their progress there and she bases their um the scale of the data wall based upon SC Ready. So it's um, exceeds um, approach, benchmark, approaching benchmark and below benchmark. So it's terminology that the students will carry with them. And um, then she also has um, Word documents where they bar graph, Pre test assessments and post test assessments. So she can quickly see growth and help the children see that as well. And so those were some things that just really, I thought, this is great because this is a piece I was missing. Even though I was tracking that information, I was never sharing it with my students. Mm. And so that's been the huge shift for me this year. Yes. And I will say, I have some of the cutest kids. And, you know, I always think they're the best every year. But this year we've started tracking our data. We've had those conversations. When we take the pretest, I'll meet with them and I'll say, look, you know, you haven't learned this material yet, you know, a little bit, or maybe you don't know anything, but you've got time to grow. So when you're here, I need you all in, you know, we're close to Clemson. So we use that term a lot in our location. You know, I said, when you're out in station work, that means something. I need you all in focused on your work. And I will tell you one of the first times that I did the post-test with them, um, and shared that data with him and we celebrated and put the st- colored stickers up on the data wall um, one little boy he obviously has an older sibling and he looked at me and he said Miss Fargo this is the best you mean I'm going to know my grade before my mom does <laughs> I said oh, wow. yes you will he goes oh that's awesome and then another one um he, you know he said wow I get to know where I'm at and I said yes mm-hmm. you do buddy I said because you need to know where you stand so you know if number one, you have more work to do, or number two, if you're ready to move on and give something else 100% so those conversations have been a game changer for my students and myself I've explained this to my families because I have I have 18 19 this year and I have seven that are siblings of students that I had before mm. so of course in conferences parents are like miss Vargo you're not sending home homework Miss Vargo you're not sending home study guides Miss Vargo we're not seeing big major tests I'm like oh we're doing them but we're doing them a chunk at a time and so I've had to kind of you know step back and explain that to parents and they've been equally excited because their students are excited. So that has been a huge game changer for
0: me. I love that. Oh my goodness, especially the students' reactions to that. Yeah. I think one of the one of the misconceptions that we have is that when we're personalized learning for students, they're only for certain grade levels. but it's so amazing to hear that at, even at the third grade level, they're excited to finally have transparency in their learning process instead of it just being done to them. So I love that. And one other thing I wanted to ask you a clarifying question around. So with the data wall and with students tracking, they're not tracking assignments. They're tracking actual skill growth.
1: Right, so they are. So mm. they are in a sense tracking an assessment because that's okay. what I give them at the end of a teaching time period. Okay. But they are tracking an ass- and one standard at a time. Mm. So I have broken down the standards and, um, and so I only, I will teach, you know, however many days I need for that one standard. They have a pre-test before I introduce the first lesson and then a post-test. I've been using online assessments primarily because I found over the years that that really exposes them to what they see for SC Ready. Mm -hmm. And so when Mm -hmm. they go into SC Ready and to map testing that some districts use, they're not afraid. The computer itself is not a wall for them. Mm -hmm. And so they're exposed to all different kinds of questions different DOK levels, um, different skill levels, so that they're more prepared in the end. Hmm,
0: I love that. Let's drill in a little bit more to these pre and post conferences with students. How do you normally go about facilitating those? And you've kind of talked about this a little bit, but how has this affected the overall culture of your classrooms, Mm -hmm. having these pre and post conferences with students? And the reason why I ask is because oftentimes Our system has set students up to be in the comparison game of like, Mm -hmm. he's somewhere else and I'm not there yet. So does that make me less than? How have you shaped and shifted the culture of your students to understand that where you are is okay?
1: I started off this year doing the pre-assessments individually, one-on-one, and doing the post-assessments one-on-one as well, the conferencing piece with them. And over time, I've seen, you know, the pre-assessment conference could be done in my small group setting Right there before we even, you know, dive into the lesson, or second day of exposing them to a new concept, um, because we're all beginning, and it's not going to really matter if some of us know more about this. Particular skill than others because this is a third grade standard and we're all learning this at the same time. So at first, I was afraid of students knowing where each other stood and how they would perceive themselves. Mm -hmm. But I found over time, they recognize, hey, we're all in the beginning and it's okay. Um, I've had students high five each other. Buddy, you put up the above benchmark. Look at that. And another way that I've incorporated the data wall is with my interventionist since we are a title one school we do have a math interventionist that comes into our classroom 30 minutes every day and so by tracking their data and looking at one skill at a time or one standard at a time it allows me very quickly to be able to see who needs more tier two intervention Mm -hmm. and so I can very quickly off the bat list give a list of students give our interventionist the standard. All of our interventionists are certified teachers, which is a blessing. Mm-hmm. And so they are very equipped to go and pull the standard, even though they work with all grade levels. They do a phenomenal job of pulling the standard and the skill. And I will even give them like either the pre-assessment or the post-assessment so they can see how the questions are being answered or asked. And so After they go with the interventionist, again, my goal this year is for them of mastery of standards, not necessarily grades. That's Mm -hmm. been a struggle to have that conversation with parents. And I've just had to be very blunt sometimes and say, you know what? I don't think your employer has ever asked you what you made in third grade (laughs) math." you know, and they chuckle. And I'm like, be patient with them. Be patient with me. And we're going to grow by the end. And so, you know, with the students, I've used that as a talking point. And if they struggled with a particular standard, then they know the following week they go with the interventionist for five days. I create a five-question reassessment very quick, but one that I can tell if they got it or not. And if they move beyond that below approaching or benchmark, then we celebrate, we have five, they take down the old colored sticker and put up a new, because Mm. I want them to understand that success. Um, If it's within the nine weeks, I am not opposed to changing a grade, but parents have not really asked for that. And so I'm very thankful because they see the big picture and they understand we're for mastery in the end because we want them to leave third grade with those tools in their bag so that they can be successful in fourth grade and beyond. So they've been very accepting of that change this year.
0: I love that, especially the piece around mastery rather than grades. And I'll intersect right here. Our office has a resource on our website that is called Intro to Competency-Based Grading. Mm -hmm. And it's a really quick module that will help start the conversation in whatever context you're in around grading mindsets and practices and how we can begin to shift them to the one that you're referring to, which is a focus on mastery. So Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's awesome to hear that your parents are on board because sometimes that can be challenging. Sure. But that's great to see and hear. So share with us, what have you seen as the benefits to the personalized learning practices that you've implemented so far? And how have they made your job as a teacher a little smoother or a little bit more fulfilling?
1: I would say um, one word that comes to mind is that it has been very effective Mm. because of the culture and the climate in my class now. Um, It has shifted without me having to do too much. By building their confidence around the fact that it's okay if we don't know it all now, we still have time to learn things. And uh, and by helping the students understand, just because we learned about adding and subtracting last week doesn't mean we're not going to come back to it, but we have more time to digest it and to learn it. And an example of that is I have a student that is really struggling in math, and that is a, a true weakness for her right now and she has learned my language because when we get to a post-assessment I'll you know say man you didn't grow as much as we want you to grow you grew a little bit but you still have more time and even though every sticker on her column is a below benchmark sticker I didn't even have to say those words this last time that I conference with her. I showed her her score and she said, you know what, Ms. Fargo, that just means I need more time. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, it does. So instead of her feeling defeated, instead of her comparing herself to everybody else, she is only looking at herself Mm -hmm. and she is seeing, I may not know it yet, but I've got more time to work on this. Mm -hmm. And so that mindset has been a huge shift for my classroom. Um, They are beginning to take ownership and a way that I've not had any third grade group take. Um, And and I will say, this is not a high-performing group this year, and this is not one of the most mature groups I've ever had either. So, to see them really begin to take ownership in their learning, to see them begin to want to do more and be better um, is amazing. I have a lot of to still do in my classroom and a lot to learn on my trail of personalized learning. And often I feel very defeated and I tend to beat myself up, but I know it is a process and I know baby steps go much further when than I realize. And I may not see that change tomorrow, but by the end of the year, I know that we're going to make headway. Um, There's lots more I want to do. I want my students to be able to verbalize what they're working on and why they're working on it. I want my students to be able to pick and choose a few more options than what I necessarily give them. And for them to be able to say, I'm working on these problems because I struggled with Area or I struggled with whatever. And I've got a way to go to help learn myself to be able to get them there. But I know this is a journey and I know I have to remind myself of baby steps.
0: I feel like you are embodying the quote that our office loves so much, which is to think big, start Mm -hmm. small and scale fast. And I love that you, you keep being aware of the fact that this is a journey and that Not everything you try is going to work right the first time, but you keep trying. And like you said, those baby steps take you a lot further than no steps at all. So I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing from you and your story. And I think your story also just showcases the power of connection and networking. The Mm. fact that you were able to connect with Brittany Terry from Griggs Road and she had a huge impact on your practice and now you sharing your story is going to have an impact on other folks' practices. Sharing the story is what we're here for, and so I'm so thankful that you're here to share your story with us today. Well, thank you for that opportunity. Now, I have one final question for you if you had to give advice to a teacher who is looking for a change in their educational practice and not really sure where to start, but they're really wanting to make learning a lot more receivable and transparent and just overall better for students. Where would you suggest that they start?
1: Wow. (laughs) Um, I would definitely encourage them to first look at the needs of their students. Like you said, not every group is going to actually gel in the same way. Um, And for them to be willing to be risk takers and to accept that things didn't work, but don't give up and don't quit. Try and try again. Um, For me, it was the frustration of not being able to see my students thinking and to really be able to have those deep conversations so I could find mathematical errors in their mind, not on paper and pencil. So for me, that shift was huge in small groups. Um, the next shift, because I did small group several years and scores didn't grow and I felt defeated, was looking at assessment pieces. And I have learned over the years by starting with my assessment my questions and my end goal, man, that makes planning so much easier because I start with the end in mind and work backwards, and that saves me so much time. And so that would be another encouragement for teachers to really delve deep into their standards. Um, I know our state department has wonderful unpacking the standard document for math, and that really does go deeply as to what kind of thinking they're expecting from our students. So that was my go-to when I really began to change up my assessment pieces um, because I thought if I can figure out how they're going to ask the question, then it's a piece of cake from there. Mm-hmm. And so by having those resources um, have been a huge huge help um, having others to talk things through ideas through and don't be afraid if co-workers are going to shoot you down because this goes against the grain for education um, it goes against you know normal of what teachers know and so it is okay to try it is okay to feel defeated and it is okay to pick up yourself by your bootstraps and keep moving forward
0: Absolutely love all of that advice. If we have any listeners who want to reach you or want to continue following you in your journey, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you?
1: Sure. I have not delved into the blog scenario so much, but I do have an email address. Okay. It is Lvargo, L-V-A-R-G-O, at SDOC.org. So they are more than welcome to email me. I am willing to share any and everything um, that I have as far as resources, and I can share some of the stuff that I created based upon what Brittany shared with me at the fourth grade level. Um, It was very easy to change those Word documents and plug in third grade standards. So I, I really do appreciate her willingness to share and I'm willing to do the same as well.
0: Well, thank you again so much for joining us on today's episode. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizesc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!